Welcome to the audio sermons of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We hope you are encouraged by listening. For more information, please feel free to browse our site at www.sbrpc.org. Continuing through our series on Galatians, we camped out in the Fruit of the Spirit there for a while in Galatians 5. And now we're back in going through the the letter of Galatians. We're in Galatians 6 this morning. And we've had this healthy dose throughout Galatians of the gospel of grace, right? It's been um, said over and over again. We've been reminded from Paul this idea of the gospel of grace, this uh, objective truth that is uh, true of Christians, right? You're justified by what Jesus has done for you uh, on your behalf. And so we've heard that over and over again, and uh, there seems to come a point, though, if you hear that over and over again, and Paul, I think, anticipates this, where anyone would ask the question, right, what what now? Um, What about my life? What do we do in the meantime? Maybe this is true. Maybe I believe this truth about me that I've been saved from my sins. Uh, What now? What do we do? How do we live the Christian life? And so that is uh, what, what Paul has transitioned from. He's, he's camped out in this idea of Christian identity and objective truth about what is true about us. And he transitions into, in chapter 5, some of what we've already seen, this idea of Christian life or Christian living. How do, are we meant to live? Those of us who this objective truth is true about, how then do we live? And so uh, we consider this to be what we'll call life in the spirit. That's the sermon title today, life in the spirit. And our passage uh, reads a little bit choppy. It looks almost like small doses of instructions, almost like reading the Proverbs. Um, But I'm going to do my best to try to thread them all together for us this morning. And so uh, let's read the scripture passage and then we'll pray and, and dig right in. Galatians starting... In chapter 5, verse 25, and then reading through chapter 6, verse 10. This is God's word. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray now and ask him to help us understand his word this morning. Let's pray. Dear God, we do ask that you would uh, reveal yourself to us now, this morning, through your word, uh, that you would sanctify us by its truth, 
God, reveal to us our great need of you this morning, as well as your great provision for us in Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this morning, as I've mentioned already, uh, our sermon title, we're talking about life in the Spirit, um, life as Christians, life for those who have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. And uh, we'll just look at three headings briefly as we go through our passage. First, relationships in the Spirit. Second, conduct in the Spirit. And third, the promise of the Spirit. So first, relationships in the Spirit. I'm not sure uh, how often y'all, any of y'all air travel. I've um, traveled in an airplane a number of times. Few enough times to still want to look out the window at takeoff every time. Um, but I've also flown enough times to kind of feel like I, I uh, know the drill. And I understand uh, one of the things that comes with flying in a plane is that the person sitting next to you may or may not have any interest in talking to you. Um, you know, a lot of people sit down, headphones in eyes straight ahead or, or looking at the back of their eyelids, um, and that's okay. Uh, that's how many people fly uh, with no intention of doing anything relational in the process of getting to their destination. And I wonder, though, if, if sometimes that is what life in the church looks like for some of us or for all of us. Uh, we, we find ourselves uh, quite uninvolved in one another's lives. And Paul's telling us here in this passage that uh, relationships, for those who are in Christ, uh, living by the Spirit is a little bit more involved than, than air travel. In uh, verse 2, you see that we're told to bear one another's burdens. Certainly, uh, that, that's relatively self-explanatory. We've probably heard that verse mentioned a lot. Um, get to know one another, understand uh, one another's sufferings and, and the weight that each individual is carrying and, and, and um, Offer yourself to, to know about that and carry that for one another. Uh, but in the context of verse 1, right, I think we see that, that the restoring of others caught in sin is certainly part of what it means to bear one another's burdens. The, the restoring of others who are caught in sin, this obviously sounds like a pretty big task. And so we need to make sure that we understand clearly what this means. Uh, we're going to go kind of quick, but in, in verse 2, or in verse uh, 1, rather, there are several words that we need to pay close attention to. First of all, brothers. Uh, this, this is, uh, I think, pretty clearly intended to be fellow believers. This idea of restoring someone who's caught in sin. This is for believers um, to uh, relate to other believers. Uh, I, I, I think when it comes to speaking to non-believers and evangelizing, certainly there's a place for uh, mentioning sin and mentioning our, uh, our state before a holy God, but I do think that it's not necessarily the, always the best strategy, right? Just pointing out someone's sin to them who does not believe the same things that you believe. Um, but here in this passage, we're talking about uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, people who are on the same page, people who, uh, who, who have the Holy Spirit living in them, who would long to honor Jesus with their conduct. So, that's the first thing. Second, you see, uh, it's this idea of being caught in a transgression. Uh, so this is not looking for someone the first second they slip up to uh, call them out on their sin. But this is perhaps patterns of behaviors, patterns of sin, uh, perhaps even unknowingly uh, before the person who's committing it. Maybe they're trapped or unable to 
uh, find, to, to uh, change their behaviors, and you notice that, and that's the time to enter into their lives. Uh, spiritual, those, those of you who are spiritual, right? This does not mean how we use that word sometimes today to speak of, oh, those people, they're so spiritual. This is you, Christian, you who have the Holy Spirit living in you. Um, this is, this is a, a normal part of living life as Christians, bearing one another's burdens, restoring those caught in sin. The word restore, it's the same word used in the New Testament where we see fishermen mending their nets. And so this idea of restoration is this idea of uh, restoring something back to its proper use, to its proper place. Um, and then, of course, gently, and we'll camp out there uh, for a few minutes, but gently, we're meant to do this in a spirit of gentleness. Um, as we restore others caught in sin, um, certainly it's meant not to take any great pleasure in, in calling people out on their sin as if uh, we're on some higher plane of knowledge or Christian living. And so it's meant to be done in humility. Uh, and, that, and that is seen elsewhere, seen clearly in verse 3. Verse 3, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Uh, bearing one another's burdens through restoring people who are called in sin is meant to be done in the utmost of humility. Uh, we, we must have a, a clear understanding of our own spiritual state and our own uh, reception of God's grace. And the language in verse 3 might sound strong, right? If anyone thinks he's something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But you think of Jesus' words in John 15 when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Um, and so it's important to, to address others in their sin with the utmost of humility. The reason I went back ahead of chapter 6 and read these last few verses of chapter 5 is because they're very helpful here. Uh, verse 26, let us not be conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let us not be conceited. Conceit is uh, the, the Greek word there. It, it literally means uh, vain glory or, or without or empty of glory or honor. And so if you are conceited, if you have conceit, you feel that you are lacking honor and glory. And so it's going to result in one of two things. Provoking uh, challenging others to, to try to prove uh, yourself and to gain honor and glory, comparing yourselves to others, or you're comparing yourself and you're going to find yourself envying others and you're going to uh, shy away. Um, and, and so ultimately a superiority complex or an inferiority complex, both um, fueled by ultimately inferiority. Uh, and so we're uh, called to, to not be conceited, that will lead to provoking or envying. Uh, I think of the quote that is, I believe actually in the book that the women's study uh, is studying, um, the quote about self-forgetfulness, the quote, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Um, it's a great quote, and I think we see that consumption, consumption with self is going to make it impossible to gently restore someone caught in sin. And we must not think that we are incapable of similar or equal sin. I'm reminded of this illustration that I've heard used before from uh, Robert Louis Stevenson's book, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Most everyone's familiar with the general premise of the story, but Dr. Jekyll has been transforming into this monster, Mr. Hyde, 
and he gets to a point where he's kind of he's got it under control. He's got it pretty well under control, and he's excited about the the future of, of hopefully having this monster under control, Mr. Hyde. And he finds himself one day sitting on a park bench and reflecting on his life and reflecting on all the good that he has done. Um, he has done much good, and he finds himself comparing his active goodwill with the lazy cruelty of others' neglect. And that's what he's sitting there thinking about, dwelling upon. And he looks down at himself, he feels a shudder, and he realizes, without even noticing, that he's turned back into Mr. Hyde, um, the monster. Uh, this, is, this is what pride can do. If you, if you tend towards comparison of yourself with others, then it's actually a dangerous task to go about trying to restore others uh, caught in sin. All these verses, uh, they're showing us life in the Spirit. It involves both a mutual accountability, this idea of bearing others' burdens, but it also involves a personal responsibility. And verses 4 and 5 make that point clear, right? Keep it close. Watch on yourself. Pride is, uh, may easily sneak in, uh, even in hearing this topic discussed this morning, right? Um, something that will help us First, just to, to point out those that burden, this idea of bear, uh, bearing others' burdens and the endless one day everyone having to bear their own load. It sounds synonymous, it's kind of confusing, but I just want you all to know burden and load are two different Greek words. And so Paul is trying to show that mutual accountability and personal responsibility. Um, he's, not, he's not using a literary rhetorical device, right? He's not I'm using synonyms. He's intentionally using different words to help us to understand the idea of mutual accountability and personal responsibility. Um, I want to make brief mention of verse 6. As I said, some of these uh, verses seem disconnected a little bit, but verse 6 wants you to prioritize the teaching of the word, right? Give it its proper value. Um, Don't be a consumer. Don't be just an auditor uh, of the teaching of the word. The, the verb there, share, comes from the, the word koinonia, which is that idea of rich Christian fellowship. So relationships, one through six, talking to us about relationships, bearing one another's burdens, correcting those, restoring those called in sin. All of this, um, getting involved in others' lives, right? It kind of runs against our modern individualistic culture, um, we really value our private lives. At least I do. And I would, I would imagine that everyone here does as well. Um, so we've got to ask ourselves, what, what can we do practically? How can I do this? It's, it's fine and good to hear, bear one another's burdens, um, restore others. But what can we do today, tomorrow, to maybe bring that about? I think there's some questions we can ask ourselves, right? Um, we can ask, for one, who's someone that I know for whom I could make myself available for them to share with me. Maybe it's just struggles in their life, difficulties they're facing, um, sin struggles. Am I the kind of person that someone else is willing to say, hey, here's a sin that I've been struggling with. Am I the kind of person that someone might be willing to say that to without fearing having their head bit off? Uh, That's something worth considering for all of us, who's a person that I would consider sharing my struggles with, right? As we, uh, as we seek to be that for others, consider asking one another questions such as, 
You know, how is your marriage? How is your relationship with your children? How is your relationship with your boss? Um, when, when the world asks, how's your relationship with your boss? I think it's pretty standard to complain about your boss. Um, but I would hope as Christians, we might ask that and, and create a space to share the struggle. Maybe, sure, maybe my boss has been unfair, but maybe we could encourage one another to uh, live lives without grumbling and complaining, um, seeking to honor those putting authority over us. Um, ask one another, where are you feeling stretched? Questions that allow others to open up, questions that allow others to share. There's a responsibility that, that we as Christians have to do this for one another. And so I hope it's clear, right, and with this idea of talking about restoring those caught in transgression, I hope it's clear that what I'm saying, what, what Paul is saying here is not antennas up, looking for people to mess up. I'm, I'm going to get out there and start restoring. Um, the point is, am I the type of person looking to bear the burdens of others, looking for my brothers and sisters in Christ caught in distress or caught in sin uh, who need help to get out? It, it won't, it's not an easy thing, right? Most likely, if you start looking for this, most likely you're going to get dragged into the mess before you feel like you've brought somebody out of it. But it's what we're called to. And I do want to note, lastly on this first point, I think not everybody's exceptionally burdened at every point, at every day in their life, right? Um, but you don't go through life without some sort of an existential crisis or material need crisis or spiritual crisis at some point. So be on the lookout for it. Relationships for Christians involve bearing one another's burdens. That's relationships, probably the first point and the longest point there, relationships in the spirit. But second, Let's consider conduct in the spirit. I think we speak often of the importance of um, heart change, right? We're very quick to say uh, what needs to change in our lives is not just change of behavior, um, but change of heart, desire, motivation. And so uh, I'm going to attempt to show you that verses 7 and 8 do not contradict that idea. Verses 7 and 8, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh, uh, to his own flesh, will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So Paul is not talking here about karma, right? Paul is not saying God um, sits around and waits for people to do bad so that he can give them some bad. Or he waits for people to do good so he can return good to them. Um, what, what Paul is saying is that God has given a, a design for your life and for the world and how it operates, and to, to ignore it and to willfully reject it is going to result in destruction and decay over time, right? That's what sin is, sowing to please the flesh. Um, that's one way of translating it there, uh, sowing to please the flesh or sowing to please the spirit. Acting, behaving, thinking in such a way as to follow your will where it diverts from God's will um, will, will lead over time to destruction. Um, and Paul writes about this kind of thing. He writes about this idea of the Christian life. How are we meant to live um, elsewhere? In Romans 6, he says, Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. So he wants that to be clear. 
he goes on to explain in that, in that whole chapter why, more of why, but that's not life in the Spirit. It's not for your good to do that, to live that way. Uh, what you sow, you reap. And it's always true, right? It's an agricultural illustration. If you sow tomatoes, you reap tomatoes. If you sow lettuce, um, in time, lettuce is what will grow. Um, I, I'm not aware of any miracle seeds, you know, that are a seed for one vegetable, but then they grow into another vegetable. Um, and these are, these are natural laws that everyone accepts, right? Um, if, you, if you trip, you're going to fall down. If you change your oil every 50,000 miles, your engine will break down. If you eat fast food three meals a day, then you're probably not going to have a prolonged life. And so Paul is arguing, this is, this is the, maybe the point here that he's arguing most clearly, is that this is true of the natural material order. There's an objective natural order. So too there is an objective spiritual or moral order. Uh, based on God's design for the world. I think uh, I thought of a, a negative example of, of this, right? Maybe you, you hear of people going off and sowing their wild oats. Uh, maybe they go to college and they live recklessly. And by God's grace, many people have, have lived that way and, and, and uh, turned their life around, right, and come to know Jesus. Um, and that he can absolutely do that. But the point to understand, the point to grasp today, is that the idea of sowing your wild oats and turning your life around later it's a terrible strategy. It's a, it's a really, really bad idea. Um, the biblical principle is that you sow what you reap. Uh, you can't expect to, to live one way and then just put a date on the calendar down the road where you're going to start living a different way. Um, you, actions and behaviors are habit-forming. We might think of this in terms of integrity, I know the word integrity uh, we use in a, in a positive sense, right? It means you're honest. It means you're trustworthy. It means you're, you're unified. Who you are over here in this sphere of your life is who you are around these different people in this sphere. Um, and I was thinking, I'm kind of making this up because it's not what we, how we use the word integrity, but I, I came up with negative integrity, right? Maybe just consistency is a better word. Um, there will be some sort of consistency in your life. Don't expect that if you sow to the flesh, right, acting on your impulses towards things like contempt, bitterness, malice towards others, harshness, self-gratification, uh, don't expect that your life will fill with love and with joy and with peace and with self-control. Uh, don't expect, for instance, to be kind to someone's face whom you have belittled towards others, or maybe even just thought poorly of for an extended period of time. Uh, you, you sow what you reap. And I believe this also helps us understand, you can look there at the end of verse 10, this idea. Uh, it's a common idea in Scripture that we're to prioritize provision for family and for Christians, um, doing good especially to the household of faith there. But why? I mean, one, because we're responsible for those who are near to us. But two... We cannot expect of ourselves that we would go out and do good and care for those beyond the household of faith if we are not doing it to those who are most near to us, right? So it's a, it's a matter of integrity and consistency. And another helpful principle 
as we think about this idea of sowing what we reap, it's just be prepared, understand that there's an eventuality to this, right? That's why the gardening agriculture metaphor is helpful. Reaping is not, all, uh, not, not always uh, immediate. In fact, it's often not immediate. Um, sometimes it may uh, feel right to do what we know is wrong in the moment, right? Retaliating against somebody who has, who has wronged you, uh, making them pay. That can, feel, that can feel good, honestly. That can feel right. Uh, but that is sowing to the flesh, and that is sowing the, the destruction of relationships, which is, in the end, opposite to the idea of, of human flourishing. So be encouraged, though. I want you to know this morning, if you are a Christian, God has made your heart able to sow that which pleases the Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Do not quench the Spirit. We're talking this morning about what I consider to be one of the toughest ideas, one of the toughest biblical principles to grasp, uh, and, and I'll have to schedule time to talk to you about it for six to ten hours if you want to, because it is, it is so tough to grasp, but this idea that God is sovereign, right? God and He must save alone. He must work in us. He must give us a heart of flesh from a heart of stone, and you have agency in your life, right? You get to make choices. You have responsibilities. We have verses like this telling us to sow that which is pleasing to the Spirit. Remember that in time you will reap whatever you sow. That's conduct in the Spirit. Lastly and briefly then, uh, I want us to consider the promise of the Spirit. I'm well aware as I stand up here and preach and I love to preach good news. I want to preach the gospel. Um, that this passage and a lot and what we just covered, there's a lot of instruction there, right? There's a lot of like, go out and do this. Um, go out and, and, and uh, uh, you will reap what you sow, uh, which can be in, interpreted and misinterpreted all kinds of ways. Um, and so it's important, I believe, that we would see here in this text and, and seeing it in Scripture at large, the promise of the Spirit. We're told in verse 9 that in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Um, it's helpful just first to note that the promise, the promise is not that you will reap if you do good enough, right? If you uh, sow well enough. Uh, but if you do not give up, there's, there is eventual temporal benefit to our doing good, right? Things like joy and peace and assurance of salvation, um, not all necessarily material benefits, uh, but there's also, for the Christian, right, this promise here, this, this uh, promise of the hope of eternal life and the hope that the Holy Spirit is at work in you. In tandem with this command and this instruction to do good and to sow that which pleases the Spirit. For the Christian, know that the Holy Spirit is at work in you, enabling you to do just that which is being asked of you. Otherwise, you would not be able to do it. The promise here, it's the same promise we find in Philippians uh, 1, verse 6. Paul writes, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's the same promise that we read about in Peter. Peter writes, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven 
for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Life in the Spirit, uh, yes, it is bearing one another's burdens. Do that. Invest in one another. Do that. Yes, it is sowing that which is pleasing to the Spirit. It is, there is a battle there. There are choices that must be made. Understand that. Uh, but life in the Spirit is also ultimately about looking ahead, looking ahead to a hope and an inheritance that's been purchased and has been secured for you already. You're not able to sow that which is pleasing to the Spirit if you believe that is what is making you right with God. Uh, It's not going to work. You must know already uh, that you uh, have been bought, you have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you can know that what you're doing to honor Jesus right now in your life, what you're doing to live into God's design for your life by bearing others' burdens, by caring for one another, um, that it's not in vain, right? You will never regret honoring Jesus. You will never regret becoming more like Jesus by the help of the Holy Spirit. Verse 9 tells us, Don't grow weary. Very helpful place, uh, a reminder here at the end. Don't grow weary. I think it implies that we can grow weary of doing good. It implies that uh, we may grow frustrated in this life, that we may have thoughts uh, such as our, our, is any of this worth it? Are my efforts in seeking to do good and seeking to honor God, are they worth it? And Paul wants to say to you this morning, oh yes, It is worth it. Keep going. You will not regret at any point in your life seeking to honor your Lord. You may grow weary. What can you do? What can you do as you grow weary? Uh, We must look to Jesus, right? We must remember Jesus. Remember what he has done. Remember his love for you. Remember that he went to the cross for you. Remember that he, he bore the burden for you. Um, though we're meant to share one another's burdens, he bore the burden for you that you could not bear on your own and that no one else could bear for you. The crushing weight of sin. That if, if you still had that burden, you may have it today. You may wonder, I don't know if I'm right with God. Um, I don't know if my sin before a holy God is going to come back to haunt me, if, it, if I'm going to pay for it. I want you to know that you can be rid of that burden. You can be rid of that burden and therefore be encouraged and enabled to care for others, to live in a way that honors your Savior, knowing that he has taken that burden from you because he loves you, because he longs to be with you. The the objective truth, the idea of us being justified and made right before God, that is the anchor And it is actually also the very thing that propels you to live the Christian life. It is is the fuel. Um, It is what propels you to go and to honor God who has made it possible for you to dwell with him. Bear one another's burdens. Sow what is pleasing to the Spirit. And await the day, Christian, that he who has begun a good work in you, that he will bring that work to completion 
He is at work in you now, and he will continue to be at work in you. Let's pray now. Dear God, we thank you for this truth. Uh, We thank you for instruction. Instructions can be hard to hear, can at times weigh us down, but we are so grateful to you that your instructions are not separate uh, from the objective truth that you state about us, and they are not separate from uh, what you have already done for us on our behalf, and that is sent your son Jesus to die for us, and you've sent your Holy Spirit to live in our hearts, to work in us, and so I pray that as we go out from here that we would be encouraged and excited and motivated to bear others' burdens, to restore those caught in sin, to sow that which is pleasing to the Spirit, knowing that we are actually able to do that and knowing that our salvation does not depend on our own actions, but that we can rely on your love for us as you've demonstrated to us through your Son, Jesus. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this audio sermon of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church. Please feel free to pass it along to others who might be encouraged by this message. Also, if you have any questions or would like to know more about the church or a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, please feel free to browse our website at www.sbrpc.org or contact the church office directly at area code 225-768-9999. Again, thank you for listening.